In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren says everyone is driven by something. Most dictionaries define the verb drive as to guide, to control, or to direct. Right now, says Warren, you may be driven by a problem. You may be driven by a pressure or a deadline. You may be driven by a painful memory, a haunting fear, or an unconscious belief. There are many circumstances, values, and emotions that can drive your life. After much conversation in his book about the different things that can drive us, Pastor Warren goes on to talk about the benefits of a purpose-driven life. Knowing your purpose, he says, gives meaning to your life. It simplifies your life. It motivates your life. It focuses your life. There are not many times that I would find myself quoting Rick Warren But this is an idea I can certainly find some points of agreement with. Our lives are driven by something. And when we connect with and understand what drives us, our lives become more meaningful. Not only for ourselves, but more importantly for everyone around us. I'm not sure I totally agree with Rick Warren's idea that knowing our purpose simplifies our life. I'm not sure Jesus would necessarily agree with that either. As we can see in today's text, knowing his purpose did not make Jesus' life simpler. All three synoptic gospels tell the story about Jesus teaching in his hometown. The synoptic gospels are Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And they're called synoptic because they usually sync up, meaning they include the same stories, often in similar sequence and in similar wording. But here, in the Gospel of Luke, our author diverges from the pattern. Matthew and Mark have Jesus return to his hometown, his synagogue, much later in his story, much later in his personal development. But for Luke, Jesus returning home is at the top of his list. This is the first public appearance for Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Just a few short verses ago, Jesus was baptized and then went out into the wilderness alone to confront temptation and sin. Here, Jesus returns home filled with the power of the Spirit, and he begins to teach in Galilee. And he must have been good because a report went out about him throughout the surrounding country, and he was praised by everyone. And then he truly goes home. He goes home to Nazareth, to his hometown, to his synagogue that raised him, that shaped him, that supported him. You can imagine that the place was packed for the hometown hero, the hometown kid who made it good, who became the rabbi, who became the important teacher. As they waited for him, everyone was probably talking about the local boy who had become the rabbi, talking about his precocious days as a child in the synagogue, always wearing out Mary and Joseph, had them always looking for him wherever he went, talking about those profound questions he would ask in the children's sermons, 
In Matthew and Mark, we don't know much of what Jesus read. But here, we get a much fuller account of what Jesus wants to say to those who know him well. Jesus stood up to read God's word to his family, to his church family, to the people who knew him best, who knew him longest. They hand Jesus the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and then he found the particular text that he wanted to read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for I have been anointed to bring good news to the poor. I have been sent by the Lord to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sat down, which was the custom, and he began to teach. But no one expected to hear what he had to say. Today, he says, this scripture, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. The author of Luke is a careful writer. Everything has a place and a time and a reason. So there is a reason why this author chose to place this story about Jesus at the very beginning of his public ministry. According to the New Interpreter's Bible, Jesus, reading and interpreting the words of Isaiah in this scene, function as a keynote address to his entire ministry. In the words of Rick Warren, Jesus, in this moment, is claiming and communicating his purpose. He is bringing singular focus to how he will be in the world. He is stating his vision. He is setting his agenda. He is delivering his inaugural address. One of the most powerful questions I was ever asked in seminary came from Walter Brueggemann. He was a guest lecturer for my Old Testament class one day, and he set up shop right in front of us, and he said, what is your canon within the canon? Meaning, what are the parts of the story of the Bible that have the most meaning to you? What are the parts of the biblical narrative that you go to again and again that shape your understanding of who God is and how God moves in the world? It is an interesting question to consider because whatever we take to be the heart of the gospel, whatever we take to be our canon within the canon, will be the central shaping force for your life of faith. It will dictate how you interact with those around you. It will shape how you use the gifts you have been given in the world. It will impact how you think God is moving and where you see God's presence. Well, today, in the Gospel of Luke, we see the heart of Luke's Gospel. We see the canon within the canon. We see the central shaping force of the life of Jesus. As he leaves Nazareth and goes to 
preach and teach and heal throughout the countryside, all of the invitations that follow, all the healings that will take place, all the powerful lessons he taught the disciples, all the time he spent feeding people, all the work he did challenging the status quo of the world in which he lived, all of this emanated from the vision he laid out on that first day in his home synagogue. All of it emanated from him claiming to be the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah in front of his family. And as followers of Christ, this vision, this central unifying purpose that Christ claims continues to direct our lives. We are being called to bring good news to the poor, to those who are both spiritually and economically destitute, those who hunger for the presence of God in their lives, those who feel cut off from God's presence, those who feel cut off from all that they need to thrive in community. We are called to serve those who literally hunger for food to eat and for a place to live. We are called to provide release to the captives, to those who are captive to the material things that keep us stuck in the same patterns, to provide release to those ways of thinking and speaking that keep us trapped in the ever-widening ideological gap. We are called to provide release to the captives, to those who are literally captive to the systems and wanton desires of this world, to those who are trapped in the sugarcane fields by the powers of economic interests, to those who are trapped by the violence in their lands and by the violence of our hearts, to those who are captives to the exploitation that happens every single day on the streets of our cities in the streets of our lives. We are called to provide recovery of sight to the blind, to those who are blinded by their physical need for healing, and to those who are blinded by their own self-centeredness and by our own need to always be in control. We are called, my friends, to let the oppressed go free as we proudly proclaim the year of the Lord's favor favor, as we work for jubilee for all people. The very heart of Luke's gospel, right here, emanating from us, for us, from the prophet Isaiah. Our session has spent a lot of time over the past couple of years exploring our beliefs, clarifying our vision, helping us to state our purpose so that our life is simpler. As we seek to be faithful to who we believe God is calling us to be, we strive to be authentic. We strive to be generous, inclusive, innovative, relevant. We seek to follow Christ, to grow in faith, to serve together, to care for all. This is not my vision. This is not Derek's vision. It's not Bob's vision. It's not Amy Kim's vision. It is our vision. 
It arose from hours and hours of conversation among the session. It arose from hours and hours of conversation with church members as we struggled together on important issues and scriptures. It is informed by our biblical witness and continues to push us out into the world. It is our keynote address. It is our statement of purpose, our agenda for our action in the world. But we can't fully live into these values. We can't fully live into this vision without the body of Christ coming together. We can't live Christ's keynote if the hands and feet, the eyes and the ears are not honoring one another's gifts. We cannot live Christ's keynote if the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears are not honoring the gifts that they bring to the body of Christ. We can't live Christ's keynote if we are playing small with Christ's purpose for our lives. Marianne Williamson says, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, Who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our light shine we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. In order to bring good news to the poor, in order to provide release to the captives, in order to restore sight to the blind and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, we need all of us to let our light shine. We need all of us to demonstrate our unity in Christ in the commitment of each person to play his or her part to show forth the love of Christ in our world. You are a child of God. You were born to make manifest the glory of God. You are part of the body of Christ. And I need you. Derek needs you. Amy Kim needs you. We need each other. We need each other to play our part so that we can proclaim that this truly is indeed the year of the Lord's favor. What are you doing here? What is your purpose? What gifts are resting in you that God is calling forth this day so that others may hear Christ's liberating word. Your purpose is Christ's purpose. And we need each other to help make it real in people's lives.
this day and every day. Amen.